Jason, good to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, as you know, our podcast is about Theology of the Body, which you also are very uh, interested in and love, and that's your whole real work um, to, to share with the country and the world. So we want to just ask you a question about how you heard about Theology of the Body. Um, it was through St. John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility. That was kind of like the, the gateway drug, so to speak, that got me to discover just the, the beauty and the richness of what he was teaching. At the time I was in college and I was leading a lot of high school retreats and the mm-hmm. kids were sharing with me just the brokenness in their own relationships and families and so much having to do with sexuality. And at the same time, I was doing a sidewalk counseling, talking to women who were, you know, getting ready to get an abortion and, um, you know, talking to them as well and just the struggles that they were going through and then discovering love and their responsibility is like, well, th- like, this is the antidote. Like, this is the antidote. If they could just hear mm-hmm. this, yeah, the beauty of God's plan for human love. I mean, you can argue with truth and goodness, but beauty is just irrefutable. And the way he lays out God's plan for human love, uh, it was so riveting to me. And then from there, I started to learn about theology body after love and responsibility. But that, that's how I, that was my introduction to it. Well, that's wonderful. Did yeah. you ever think that learning that would, would bring you to, to what you've been doing with your work? Well, I knew I wanted to share it. I just didn't know what avenue that that would look like. Like mm-hmm. first I thought, well, maybe I'll be a high school guidance counselor, marry, maybe some like Christian marriage and family counselor, maybe this, maybe that, maybe I'll be a mm-hmm. university professor. But just, you know, God, God the, the passions you have, the desires are kind of God's gift to you. And then mm-hmm. if you just trust him, then in time, the right doors will open up where he wants you to share that passion. That's amazing. That's so good. Yeah, I was uh, looking on your website, the Chastity Project website recently, and there's a lot of impressive things on there. A lot of great uh, team members you have who write blogs and different resources you have. I think it's really, it's impressive. Well, thanks. We're just getting ready to revamp the whole thing. In about a month, month and a half, the whole thing is going to be redone top to bottom. And so we're super excited. And then we just launched something called missionariesofchastity.com, which is that if you want to share this message with anybody, just tell us who you want to reach. Like, I want to reach teens with what matches? Dating and chastity. Okay, well, guys or girls? Well, the the co-ed. And then we'll say, okay, what books do you want? And I want 300 of those, 200 of those, 50 of those. We'll create like your own GoFundMe page kind of on our website. And then anybody can donate to your project. We'll announce on social media. We raise the funds for you and we send you everything for free. And so then you just become missionaries of this message to other people. So you don't have to pay anything. We don't have to pay anything. And then you get all these resources to share. So. That's so cool. That's very cool. Well, speaking of chastity, that is the theme of our talk today. We want to talk to you more about what you know, how we can share with our our audience members, our listeners, uh, what chastity is and why it's so beautiful and important. So you ready to have a conversation with us? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Before we begin, we want to tell you about some opportunities that you can partake in through Awaken Catholic. The first is that you can join the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a group of donors that are passionate about spreading the Catholic faith to others through Awaken Catholic. All it takes is a monthly donation. It can be as cheap as a cup of coffee a month. Uh, to do that, you can go to awakencatholic.org donate. Also, consider joining the Awaken app 
Um, the Awaken app is kind of like a social media alternative where you can chat with people within the Awaken community. You can also chat with show hosts such as Megan and I, and we are happy to chat with you there. Um, yeah, and get access to all sorts of cool things like prayers, like there's a shop, um, announcements. Yeah, it's very cool. So if you go to theawakenapp.io, you can download it there. And now a word from our sponsors. Have you ever dreamed of visiting Paris in the fall? Seeing the beautiful Eiffel Tower lit up by a sunset. Visiting and venerating holy locations of the Sister Saints of France in Lisieux, Paris, Lourdes, and more. This fall 2021, join select international tours with Claire Swinarski from The Catholic Feminist, author and speaker Catherine Whitaker, and our amazing hosts Morgan Holliger and Megan Burwell from Awaken's show Naked Without Shame on a once-in-a-lifetime Seine River Cruise pilgrimage. Join our friends at Select International Tours and Cruises with over 34 years of experience. They are the perfect company to help you experience pilgrimage. To learn more, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken. Bon voyage! Um, yeah, so today we're wanting to talk about chastity. Um, and I guess our first question mm -hmm. is just like very basic um, yeah. for you, Jason. Why do you think chastity is important? Yeah. Like, why are we talking about this? What, yeah, um, I, Because love is important, you know, okay. and chastity frees us to love and chastity frees us to know if we are being loved. And, uh, and so it frees you to love because, you know, if you can't really say no to your sexual desires, saying yes really doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, and, but, it, but it frees you to know if you're being loved too, because um, I remember being at a public high school and a girl came up dating this controlling, abusive older guy. And he just treats it like garbage. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you just deserve a lot better than this guy. Just break up with him. And she said, well, I can't. I gave him my virginity, um, my friends. I just can't let go. I said, look, just tell him no more sex and just watch what happens. And she said, Okay, I'll do that. And she took off her necklace and gave it to me. And she said, he makes me wear this. He's just so controlling and possessive. And I said, okay, I'll throw it away for you. And, uh, and she goes away. And five minutes later, she came back and she's all happy. And she said, I dumped him. And I said, that was really quick. And she said, yeah, I, I told him no more sex. And he slammed his locker shut and he threw a book at me. And he said, where's your necklace? And she said, I gave it to the chastity guy. <laughs> so you see what happens. Like she just tested his love. Like, do you really want me? Or do you just want the pleasure you're getting from me? And so it's mm -hmm. an important virtue, not just that it's not abstinence, it's just the absence of sexual intimacy. It's this presence of this purity of heart. And so it's a real challenge of love and a, a real test of love. So it frees us to love and then frees us to know for being loved. As you were talking, it made me think of how really there's there's been kind of a, a difference in, in seeing the human person not as someone to love and to affirm mm -hmm. and to... Um, put first, but as you were saying, someone to give me pleasure. Yeah. And I was just listening to the radio on my way here. And, and there's so many songs about that. You can tell like the heart and the lyrics really desire like a fulfillment through pleasure yeah. really. And instead of um, the joy that comes from, from chastity, from the virtue of chastity, from a, from, I guess, yeah, the, the vision of the person as, um, of gift and as, as beautiful. So yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, that, that's why the virtue is so important because it really brings another person's intentions right up to the surface. Because if it's me that you're after, you can have me without all the pleasurable stuff before marriage. Mm -hmm. But if it's the pleasure that you're after and I take that out of the mm -hmm. equation, then you, it shows you were never after me to begin with. It's kind of like, I think of it as like a, like a cigarette smoker who's addicted 
they don't really want cigarettes. They want mm-hmm. the feeling they get from the nicotine in the cigarette. And then when the cigarette is smoked down to the little bud, they just flick it in the gutter because that's never what they wanted to begin with. And in the same re- respect, I think a lot of people feel discarded like that after a broken sexual relationship, after the person consumed what it was that they desired and then discarded them. And so it just, you know, it's it's a real test of love. Like, are, are you, mm-hmm. do you love me or do you just want the pleasure you're getting from me? And so mm-hmm. it's not that it's like this grim reaper of love. It's it's a test of love. It's almost like wind on a flame. Like if it's a weak flame, doubt. But mm-hmm. if it's a strong flame, you just inflame that thing. And so that's what purity does. If it's if it's love, it'll intensify it like a forest fire or that fuel. It's a windy day. We don't know if we can stop the forest fire today, you know, so it's fuel to that fire. But if it's weak, like what lust is, and then you put purity on it, it douses it. And so it's a real test. That is cool. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and it's important to define the terms too. Like chastity mm-hmm. doesn't mean celibacy. Celibacy is the state of not being married. Uh, mm-hmm. Celibacy, chastity does not mean abstinence necessarily. Abstinence just means no sex. Chastity is a virtue that applies to everyone regardless of your state of life, whether you're single, you're married, you're a priest. Uh, that's not the elimination of sexual desire or attraction, but it kind of orders our desires according to the demands of authentic love. And so chastity is going to mean different things depending on your state in life. And so for a single person, it does obviously involve abstinence. Um, but even for a married person, it you know, not only involves not looking at pornography or using your wife or being unfaithful or pornography, um, but it also can involve times of abstinence in your marriage, even heroic, sometimes seasons of abstinence that you might not have expected going into that sacrament. You know, Mm -hmm. whether your spouse might be going through this or that. And like, I mean, a friend of mine, his, his wife had been abused when she was young and she never really worked through that sexual abuse through counseling. And then those wounds kind of came up in marriage and she told him, I can't really be close to you right now because it brings back too much bad stuff. And he was mm-hmm. a real loving, understanding husband. Okay, that's fine. And I can show love to you in other ways. And, a, you know, a week went by of abstinence and marriage, a lot happens. And then it was a month of abstinence that happens. And then it was two months and three and four and five and six months of abstinence, you know, for this young husband. And for him, it was like, God, you know, Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. And Jesus is like, actually you did, you know, good times, <laughs> bad sickness and health is all kind of in there. Um, but he realized that like, he, his idea of masculinity was kind of warped because he thought if you're a real man, then, you know, a woman's going to be sexually responsive to you. Mm-hmm. And the very fact that her, his own wife was frigid toward him just made him feel like less of a man. But he realized that by staying on that cross of abstinence for love of her, he was becoming more of a man to her than any man had ever been in her life. And through her affliction, he was healed. And through his affliction, she was healed and they were able to come back together closer than ever as husband and wife. But if he didn't understand that abstinence can be an expression of love, he could have gotten all pouty and petulant and whiny and distant and unfaithful or demanding. And it just would have infected her own wound. But because he possessed that virtue of chastity, it freed him to love her rightly. That is so beautiful. I was just thinking of a question about, yeah, how this example in particular can be maybe illustrating like this, this freedom, this, Mm -hmm. this time that he had to really deny himself, uh, for the sake of his wife. And, uh, yeah. How, how chastity is like not, um, it doesn't stifle sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like put a damper on it, but it actually makes it flourish and you, you become more free. Yeah. You know, um, John Paul had some beautiful insights when he spoke about that. He was talking about as we grow in purity, he says, 
he actually says we actually come to a great ever greater awareness of the gratuitous beauty of the human body and its masculinity and femininity and this beauty becomes a light for our actions and I love the quote because he says he, you would think it'd be the opposite, but he's saying, the more you grow in purity, the more aware you are of the gratuitous beauty of the human body. And it's that beauty that becomes a light for your actions, that you realize the meaning of the body is this invitation of love, not this invitation to use. And so it's precisely the beauty that you become more aware of, as opposed to thinking that purity is just becoming numb, you know, and cold toward beauty. And now I'm pure. No, you're puritanical and you're repressed and that's not going to work. And so chastity doesn't eliminate those sexual attractions. I mean, you still experience sexual attraction, but the solution isn't no, it's all bad. It's all an occasion of sin. It's all dirty. I mean, yeah, we need to have custody of our eyes, of our senses, of our imagination. But the answer to the human body ultimately is yes. That like, and how do you say yes to a body that doesn't belong to you? Like some pornographic billboard. Like how do you respond to that in love? Well, I would say, I mean, you see beauty. Thank God for that. Thank you, God, for making that person beautiful. And then you could say, I'm sorry for not looking rightly upon other people's bodies. Give me a clean heart. You could pray for her. You know, what I tell guys is like, well, you're tempted to just make a little sign of the cross on your forehead, nothing big, you know, give that thought to Christ. But like first part of the cross is up. Thank you, God, for her beauty. Second part of the cross is down. I'm sorry for the times I've lusted. Give me a clean heart. Then the cross lifts up so you don't stay in that shame and guilt. Bring it up and then look over. Does she have a wedding ring? Okay, pray for her and her husband. No ring? Pray for her future vocation. So you're transforming temptation into intercession. And then the last part of the cross leaves, leaves her. Where's the source of her beauty? The blessed trinity that's the beauty you ultimately long for so go into that adoration and so that gratitude contrition intercession and adoration are the four kinds of prayer in the catechism of the catholic church and so that moment that you think is only an occasion of sin can be an opportunity for grace and a way to respond to the beauty of that body with love. And it doesn't matter if it's some girl walking by you in the shopping mall. doesn't matter if some pornographic flashback from your imagination from 10 years ago. You can apply this and respond to the body in love. That's really beautiful. That's like very practical advice on how yeah. you yeah, practice chastity. Mm -hmm. um, I guess one of our other questions was, mm -hmm. how can you sort of connect it to this? How can you tell the difference between like you're seeing a beautiful person mm -hmm. and like you're just attracted to that? You're yeah. attracted to that beauty and then lust. Yeah. Like how can you kind of disentangle those things? Because I think a lot of times in our experience, they're they're kind of one in the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great question because if someone doesn't understand the difference between sexual desire and lust or attraction mm -hmm. and lust, they will give up on purity in, in, in an instant mm -hmm. because they think, okay, if I get really, really holy, I'm not going to have any more sexual attractions or desires anymore. It's like, dude, if you don't have those desires, like you're not holy, you're, you're dead. You know what I mean? Like, like that's yeah. not, that it's numbness human, is not a yeah. sign of sanctity. Uh, it's a sign of just repression and it's going to explode, you know? And so it's, it's not about, you know, eliminating, but integrating our, our desires. And so how do you distinguish the two? Well, one way I think about it is that when you see a beautiful body. Um, I mean, neurologists say that within a tenth, no, it's within a third of a second, your 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 pupils will dilate, your skin tone will flush, your muscle tone will change, your heart rate rate will increase. And this is all within like a third of a second. Boom. That is a reaction. That's not a sin. That's not something you have to go to confession for. Third of a second. You're, you cannot exercise the power of your will over this biological reaction. It's fine. God made that person beautiful. Your body's responding to it. So you had a reaction. But now you're afforded the opportunity for your response. 
How do you respond now? Mm-hmm. Are you now looking at that person as a collection of body parts? Are you waiting for them to look away so you can look at their body lustfully? Like what are you, what are you doing at that point? Mm-hmm. Or are you responding by elevating your gaze, eye contact, respect, you know, and keeping your imagination in check? And so you've got that reaction, totally natural, but now you're given a response. Will you respond in love and respect and dignity? Or are you going to respond in lust, looking at that person? Mm-hmm. And what lust is, uh, Mikhail Waldstein, you know, who did the introduction to John Paul's Theology by the translation, uh, he gave one of the best definitions of lust of what it is, is a reduction of the human person to their sexual value. And so the b- enormous value of chastity is it doesn't get rid of that sexual value, but it prioritizes it in the full context of the value of the human person. And so essentially what lust does, it is cuts out all this personal value and all you have is the sensual value. And so chastity frames that sexual value in the overall context of the respect of the human person. And so it's not a reduction of attraction. If anything, it's an intensification of it because you see the full attractiveness of the other person. Because so often people commit in relationships because of the sensual connection there Mm -hmm. without realizing you guys have nothing else. If you were to take that out – It'd just be a vacuum, just an empty void, an empty space. Mm. And that's what a lot of couples come to realize after a couple of years of marriage or whatever. It's like, wow, I picked this person because of the looks. I picked this person because, you know, we were so good in bed together and all this. We were cohabiting. And then now the trials of life come and I don't have a life partner. Like I don't have someone who I admire or I respect. I don't have someone who's actually growing in virtue. I, I just have someone who I had a sensual reaction to. Mm-hmm. And some people say, well, how can you know if you really, you know, are going to fit together if you, you know, don't sleep together before marriage? I mean, then how will you even know if you're compatible? And it's like, dude, trust me. I mean, that part of life will figure itself out. It's the other part of compatibility yeah. that really matters. And, you know, compatible in Latin comes from compati, which means to suffer with. And so it's not about fitting mm. so perfectly. Wow. It's about it's about the incompatibilities that you are going to have. Do you know how to deal with that? And if you don't, you can't bury it under pleasure for the rest of your life and think that that's going to make a marriage last. You. Yeah, you. You know you've always wanted to go to Paris. Well, now's your chance. If you go with Select International Tours, the sponsor of today's Awakened Catholic Show episode, you can join Claire Swinarski from the Catholic Feminist Podcast, as well as author and speaker Catherine Whitaker, and our amazing hosts Morgan Holliger and Megan Burwell from Awaken's show Naked Without Shame on a -a once-in-a-lifetime Seine River Cruise pilgrimage in France. Visit and venerate the Sister Saints of France in Lisieux, Paris, Lourdes, and more. Sac le bleu! Learn more by visiting selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken. Yeah, do you have, um, I mean, anything else to, to share about how how we know when we're getting chastity right? I think yeah. that makes so much sense. I mean, the just starting with the, the vision of the human person mm. as more than just sexual value, that was so helpful yeah. to see that, you know, what chastity does is it, you see your whole identity mm-hmm. or you see the whole identity of the person you're attracted to. Yeah. And, uh, and then the sexual value kind of come becomes uh, yeah. a part of the whole. And I just love that. That is yeah. so yeah. great. Yeah. That's really like, it's, it's practical advice to, mm-hmm. to challenge people, to challenge our listeners, to start to see yeah. the person as, as gift. We talk a lot about that on the show. Yeah. <laughs> people are gifts and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, their yeah. identity comes in God through, through that givenness yeah. um, to love, to love that person. And so trying to know when you've got chastity, right. One thing is realized like, this is not a destination. Heaven is the destination. You know, That's chastity is more the journey. 
You know, and if you think it's a destination, you're like, wait, when am I going to get there? You know, am I there yet? Like, am I chased yet? And, and like, how come I'm still struggling? Like, what do I need to do that Jason Everett already did and Christopher West already did? Like, they already got it all figured. Like, no, like, we're on the road with you. Like, this is not some, like, I signed my purity commitment card when I was 12 and now I'm chased. It's like, this is a daily hour by hour battle of our imaginations, our eyes, our hearts, our motives, our intentions at the deepest layers. And so, first off, is not thinking of it as like some destination you're mm-hmm. finally going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a battle. And, you know, granted, I mean, John Paul II talks about as we grow in this, we move away from the things that were initially a, a real stumbling block in the purgative stages of this, of the, uh, you know, the spiritual life. And we move about with greater freedom that those mm-hmm. things that had would have been a greater temptation aren't so much. You know, so like if you gave me a smartphone when I was 14 years old, it would have been game over. I mean, I would have never left my room looking at all the garbage on there. But now I can be alone in a hotel room a thousand miles away from my wife with a cell phone. And it's, you know, it's not an issue because I've, you know, it doesn't mean that, okay, I'm done. You know, I'll never be tempted again in that way. But John Paul talks about how we can move toward greater freedom in these areas. And so with chastity, I think it's also important to contextualize it that that's not the be all end all of your spirituality. Meaning if your chastity is good, you're good. And if your chastity is struggling, you're not holy. And a lot of people pin their whole relationship with God on where their chastity is. And if they're really wrestling in this area, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so far away from God. And then they're having a good season. They're like, wow, I've really got it all together. It's like, there's a lot of other virtues and vices that need to be paid attention to other than just chastity. You know, are, are you serving the poor? Are you know, are you prayer? Are you doing fasting? Are you, you know, for a forgiving person? Are you merciful? And to think it's all just about what our sexuality is, that's kind of making an idol out of something. And yeah, it's important. I mean, Jesus said, bless the pure in heart, they're going to see God. But he also has some, quite a few things to say about pride and other things. So we just need to make sure that it's contextualized with all the rest of the virtues instead of just focusing all of it on that. Because if we do, then you'll really lose your peace if you fall. And and that's the first thing the devil wants you to do. If he can just get you discouraged, then that's what he – if he can just get you to lose hope, lose peace, then he can just rub your nose in that. Because before a sin, the, the Holy Spirit is like the convictor of the sin. Like don't do that. That's grave. Whereas Satan is more of the comforter before a sin. Oh, God will forgive you. You've already done it again. It's not a big deal. Yeah, Other people are a lot worse than you are. And you've had a really long week and you're entitled to have a little break. You've been such a good boy. He's kind of the comforter. But then once you sin, the roles reverse where the Holy Spirit becomes the comforter. And then the devil becomes what he is, the accuser of like, oh, psh, now you think God would love you and you think you have any place in ministry and you think this. And then he just starts rubbing your nose in it. And it's like a priest I heard said once that God knows your name, but he calls you or God knows your sins, but he calls you by your name. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sins. Hmm. And so I think nowhere does that apply more than chastity of when the devil just wants to shame you for that instead of being like, hey, I messed up. I, f- I fell. I'm going to go to confession. I'm going to keep my peace and God's going to help me. So it's so important you keep your peace as you progress along that road. Being in a relationship with God ultimately mm-hmm. and yeah. like submitting myself to God first. Yeah. And like not like thinking that I can do it all myself. I think that's really yeah. difficult, especially with chastity. I mean, so discouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great to hear that you guys are putting the TOB in its proper context because a lot of times it gets popularized for where it intersects with our life and our sexuality of like, oh, it's about contraception and it's about premarital sex and it's about, but like you read the TOB and 500 some pages, it's, 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 it's who are we yeah. and how ought mm-hmm. we to live, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of just what does it mean to be a human person, that, yeah. that adequate anthropology and just understanding what it means to be a gift and how that's not just with your sexuality, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many ways to make a gift of yourself and 
uh, and so it's a, it's, it's a good thing to hear that you're broadening people's lenses of realizing the TOB is not just some marriage prep program. It's not some okay. premarital sex, you know, explanation of why that's bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's so much more of just what it even means to be human. Yep. And it's such a perfect time in civilization right now for this message to come to be with like, Demi Lovato coming out 48 hours ago explaining how she identifies um, as a non-binary and yeah. she prefers the they, them pronouns. Yeah. And like culturally, the kids are like, oh, yeah, okay, great, good for you. Like, what does that mean? What does it even mean to be human? And John mm-hmm. Paul gives us that understanding right. that so much of culture lacks. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me and just my... I guess awareness of theology of the body, it came just with that, that knowledge, that, mm-hmm. that knowledge of the human person. And once you, once you begin to see that as beautiful, this, mm-hmm. this gift that John Paul II brings us in kind of calling us back to ourselves and how Christ calls us to, to understand who we are, mm-hmm. uh, it just really changes the way you think and then see things in your, your own relationships, uh, mm-hmm. your day-to-day life, um, it can be kind of abstract to talk about like thought that way, but, yeah. but truly it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful when you can start to, to think of yeah. these things, uh, and apply them to your life. So yeah. I think he was the biggest witness of the theology by just by the way he lived, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. so much five years of Wednesday audiences. It was the person of John Paul II yeah. that right. was the message of the theology of the body. Just how he untiringly and ceaselessly made a gift of himself to others, you yeah. know, whether it was. And his morning, like he would wake up in the morning anywhere between four to five thirty in the morning, and he'd do his rosary, watch the sunrise, do his morning prayers, and then he'd go to his chapel and he had a little prayer desk before the Blessed Sacrament, a little kneeler that opened up, and in it were all the hand, you know, written in letters he got for prayer petitions, and he'd you know rifle through those thirty or forty petitions a day before mass and pray for those things, and then he'd follow up with his secretary, you know, have you heard anything on that one couple, you know, from Ohio, were they able to have the baby yet? You know, okay, well, well I'll keep praying, you know, and he would be following up to make sure that these miracles were happening. And, you know, indeed many of them did. I mean, one mm-hmm. woman came to him and her, and her husband were from Vancouver and they had all these infertility problems and the wife just pours her heart on, you know, Holy Father, we're not able to have a child. And John Paul just <laughs> smiles at him, traced the side of the cross, said, you'll have a boy. <laughs> and they're like, what? And they, they left That's the Wednesday audience and took a pregnancy test and they were pregnant with a boy. Oh who they not surprisingly named John Paul. (laughs) But like he had, he he would make a gift of himself. It doesn't matter if he's at a stadium with 80,000 kids, you know, he was concerned with the one. And I remember when he went to France, this was before World Youth Days even took off. He was at a stadium called Parc des Princes. And there was, I think like 50,000 teens inside the stadium, like another 30,000 outside. And they could just, just ask him whatever questions they wanted, like through a live mic. And he would answer whatever questions, you know, just unscripted. And then apparently a kid got up who wasn't planned to get up and said, like, I don't understand why you believe in God and I don't believe and I don't mean disrespect, but I don't understand. And before the Holy Father could answer him, he was kind of shuttled off because he wasn't supposed to be part of it and went back in the the lineup and or into the crowd. And John Paul didn't get a chance to answer the kid. Mm. And so he went home to Rome and he just kept thinking about that one boy. And so he calls up or reaches out to Cardinal Francois Marty, who is the cardinal in France in charge of the event. And he said, you know, I'd like you to find that boy for me. And I'm sure the cardinal's like, oh, I thought 80,000 kids. <laughs> and, and the Holy Father was adamant, please find him. Mm-hmm. And so they just started asking around, like, do you know what youth group that kid was with? Or, oh, yeah, he's with, you know, St. Joan of Arc's parish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they found the kid. 
And John Paul sent a personal invitation to join him in the Vatican for lunch so they could sit down and talk one-on-one with the struggles that kid had in the faith. Flew the boy to the Vatican and they had lunch together. Like that was the shepherd's heart he had. In the midst of the 80,000, he he just went after the one. And so TOB wasn't something he he taught. It was what he lived. And that was Mm -hmm. the most powerful witness to me. Incredible. That is so incredible. How how his focus on one person at a time and just that that connection and seeing that per, that one mm-hmm. and making you feel like so loved and so you know uh, appreciated in his presence. It makes me think Mother Teresa said something similarly. It's that she, though she was such a, a worldly figure and she she helped so many people mm-hmm. in India. Uh, she said it. It's not my responsibility to tend to the masses, but just one at a time. Mm-hmm. Just just seeing one person at a time, caring for one sick person at a time. Yeah. But that witness is what we're saying. That 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 total givenness in the presence of somebody, yeah. it does ripple effect. You see that witness and you think, wow, that's really yeah. that's so beautiful and special. Yeah, and John so. Paul, that's just how he thought. I remember hearing once that sometimes he would stand out of the papal window and look out like the year of the Jubilee and see thousands and thousands of people at a time going into St. Peter's Square and he would like just pick one out of the audience and be I wonder what that person's story is, you know, but he had that heart of the individual as opposed to the masses. I mean, he was obviously just a magnetic personality in front of hundreds of thousands, but you still felt like you were the only person there that he was talking to. And it's just because it's the guy he was. I mean, as a parish priest, he'd be going hiking with the kids in the mountains when it was illegal. Like if he was caught doing this stuff, you know, by the communists, I mean, they would have killed him, but he was doing it as a priest. He did it as a bishop. He was even doing it as a cardinal, still going to these campouts. And uh, I remember talking to one bishop and uh, apparently John Paul II came to one of his kids' retreats before he became a priest. And and then, uh, and then this guy, you know, became a priest and grew up, and and then got to see John Paul II decades later, and said, "Holy Father, like you came to my retreat up in the woods with my youth group, you know, with my youth group in Warsaw or whatever, and you know, in 1954, whatever it is, you know, with so and so's church." And John Paul's like, "Yes, tell me, how does Catalina? How is Peter? How is Tomas?" And he went down the name of the kids on the retreat from decades earlier. And this priest's jaw must have just dropped. Like, how do you do that? How does your, not your mind, like how does your heart even get that big to fit the whole world in it? But that mm. that was John Paul. I mean, he had the the names of every bishop and diocese memorized in the entire world. Um, he had an atlas, and he would pray over the church and knew all the bishops' names. I mean, I mean, granted, his intellect was staggering. He had a gift of a split concentration, where he could do two things at the same time with equal efficiency. So he could write a papal speech while someone was teaching him a foreign language. He would read a dense book of philosophy while someone else was reading him a different book on theology, and he would absorb both sources simultaneously. And his secretary was not, he said that is not a myth. He could actually do those things. Oh, my gosh. And so, I mean, I can do it too, but I'm half as good at both of the same. Yeah. Honey, I'm listening to you. I'm like, oh, LeBron James, good try. You know, you know, so, but, but his was on a totally different plane. So, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, one follow-up question I have just thinking about how you're sharing the, so many beautiful things about John Paul II uh, and how he was a gift to so many people. What would you say uh, would be your definition of what it means to be a gift more practically? Like what are those qualities that we can all kind of strive to be um, yeah. when we're in the presence of somebody to be a gift to them? 
I heard uh, we had Father Augustino Torres on our podcast recently, and we were talking about singleness during social isolation. And he was giving recommendations to single women of what to look for in a man. And he said, girls, you need to find a guy who's fat. And he said, what I mean by fat is he's faithful, he's available, and he's teachable. And I think it's that central one, available. Not available in the sense of he's not dating somebody else, but is he actually present to you? Hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that Father Augustino pointed out, he said, look, when guys get hooked on porn, they stop being available. Not meaning he's just not asking girls out. He's too busy sitting on a cell phone in his basement. But he's like, no, like they're not even there. Like even when you're with them, they're not fully present. They're not fully engaged. And you can't make a gift of yourself if you're not truly available to others. And so I think just availability for whatever God may be calling you to do at that particular moment is essential. Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit, a priest back home in San Diego where he lived said that the Holy Spirit talks to you a hundred times a day. Are you listening? And so I think the holier you get, in a sense, the, the lighter you become in the sense that you'll just blow wherever the spirit goes. You're going to go with it because you have that availability, that docility um, to first receive um, before you give. Because especially as Americans, it's all about doing, doing productivity, results, numbers. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. But like that's it's a lot of hubris. It's a lot of pride. It's a lot of self-satisfaction that we want to drive. And I remember one priest saying that hyperactivity in the apostolic life is a sign of spiritual laziness. And I, I really chewed on like, wait, hyperactivity in the apostolic work is a mm. spirit, sign of spiritual laziness. And he said the reason for that is, is because you want to do the easy stuff, not the hard work of contemplation and meditation and intercession where the real fruitfulness comes from. You just want to see results. You want the satisfaction of seeing the work of your own hands instead of being docile, receiving, entering into prayer, and letting God make that fruitful, you're more obsessed with numbers and successfulness. And so it's just a real good kick in the pants, though, of just if you want to make a gift, you first learn need to learn how to be before you go do. And I think we're too interested in just going and doing and projects and initiatives. But, you know, I mean, you look at the life of Christ. I mean, 33 years, how much spent just being with the Holy Family doing nothing? And it's like, Jesus, you could have cranked out like 40,000 more miracles if you just got started at the age of 12. Like, no. Just the, the hidden life, the, there, there's some glory that's given to God through that and an additional fruitfulness when ministry is called for that we miss out on because we're so interested in doing. Wow. I think we couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think I think this totally resonates. Yeah, uh, just this, yeah, the mentality of uh, measuring your the, the fruitfulness of your, your work and how you yeah. know like you're maybe right with God or that, uh, yeah, we fall into this, this productivity uh, mindset, especially in America, mm-hmm. and and how once again, like things that we don't measure a person. You know, we we receive a person, and it's uh, yeah, it can be just as fruitful to just spend time slowly doing something or spend you know, kind of uh, yeah, not worrying about the numbers so much. It can be more fruitful actually than than the the things we see sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? We had a priest at our university, Father Mike Scanlon, uh, just an incredibly saintly man. He was the president of Franciscan University while I was there. And he would get up in the morning and he would pray for four hours before he did anything. He refused to work until he had four hours of prayer and he knew what God wanted him to do that particular day. And as a result of it, Steubenville has just, I mean, the the fruitfulness of that, uh, you know, that university where the students are ending up and the things that they're doing throughout the church universally is remarkable. And I pin it all to those four hours of quiet time in Father Mike's prayer life Mm. Um, because he wasn't just doing what he thought would be most humanly productive for the numbers and like, no, he was just 
being still and and it's so easy to talk about this stuff, but like to actually sit still for five minutes in prayer and not have to be like, well, I need to read something. I need to do something. I need to pray something. I need to, like just, just be. And it's like, well, I get distracted after 20 seconds. Okay. Focus, get back in there and just, just, and a friend of mine, he says, he, he makes sure to get that silent time. And he says, I usually don't see the fruit of that silence during the time of silence. But he said, if I create that posture of silence and receptivity, I see the fruit of it later in the day. Different graces come, different insights, different inspirations. If I'm making room for just quiet and listening, even if during that five minutes of listening, I don't hear anything. He says, I'm, if I'm consistently doing that, I end up hearing it later in the day, the fruit. So. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, so good. So Great advice again. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap things up, I just wanted to ask, uh, Maybe you could give some practical advice to maybe married people mm -hmm. or people who want to be married about uh, chastity, the virtue of chastity, and um, maybe some things from your own like marriage and family life that you've uh, found to be so beneficial and fruitful from this virtue. Yeah. Well, with, with, with chastity inside of marriage, it obviously involves a lot of different things, whether it's not looking at pornography, because like if, if you get a parent who's looking at porn... I mean, you've just opened the barn doors of evil into your house. And I, and I tell dads, I mean, I'm probably a little overly blunt, but I say it's a spiritual vasectomy. I mean, your capacity to transmit the supernatural life to your family is just cut off. Mm -hmm. As long as you're bringing that into your own soul, how can you guard the souls that have been entrusted to you? And so we got to make sure that chastity is not something we're just imposing on our kids. You need to obey the church's teaching on sex before marriage. But my wife and I, well, we don't need to listen to the church's teaching on sex inside of marriage. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, wait a minute. This virtue is going to be more easily caught than taught. So if I want my kids to practice it, I have to model it. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect at these things, but it's like, okay, pornography has no place in the home. Also family planning. Do we trust God with our bodies? Are we trusting the church in terms of family planning? And that doesn't mean that it's just like, okay, have as many kids as possible. It's like, well, no, but sometimes responsible parenthood is having another child. Mm. Everyone thinks that responsible parenting means having less children, but mm. sometimes a responsible thing to do is to have more children, but we want an extra jet ski or we want yeah. this or that. And in mm. chastity, um, natural family planning, learning that is an essential part of chastity in marriage because it's not simply a matter of postponing your next pregnancy. It's understanding your spouse's body, you know, and it's just, um, it, it requires obviously self-mastery and self-control and it's difficult, but couples who use it have a divorce rate under 4%. And I think it's important that when we try to sell NFP to the engaged couples, we make sure we tell them it's a pain in the neck. We make sure that we don't make it. The, it's living the theology of the body. And it's like going from honeymoon back to engagement. It just rekindles intimacy every time. Like, no, sometimes it's a real pain in the neck. And like, they need to hear that. Otherwise, if we try to oversell it and candy coat it, and then they get married and they're like, wait a minute, this is hard because I travel for work. And then when I'm home, it's like the days we can, then the day I go on the trip, we can. And it's like, it's just creating this tension. And, you know, and my wife's all into NFP and I think the church is overly rigid. About, like mm -hmm. it, it'll bring to the surface kind of like, mm -hmm. I mean, what marriage does is it brings your virtues and your faults up to the surface more clearly than ever. And so before you get married, you think, well, I'm a pretty patient person. I'm a pretty, you know, under good. And then like get married, like, well, maybe I'm not as patient as I thought. Um, and so it does the same thing with chastity, that if we haven't really developed that prior to the sacrament, that's going to become really painfully obvious in marriage because chastity in marriage 
is more demanding than chastity before marriage. And people, wait, what? How could that be true? But it, you're given an extra grace in the sacrament to live out that challenge. Because a lot of people think, oh, when you get married, it's just all bets are off and it's just whenever you want, however mm-hmm. you want. It's like, well, that's not really how life works. And engaged couples need to learn this stuff because we're starting marriage prep so tragically late. And Pope Francis said marriage preparation begins at birth. And we think it begins at pre-Cana weekend for, and, and that's like, that's triage. I mean, that is way too late. And so we need to let them know natural family planning is beautiful. It's a gift, but it's a sacrifice. Um, and it, you know, it, it's worth it because I mean, children are the supreme gift of marriage. The default position is not NFP. The default position is openness to life. NFP is what you can fall back on if you have a serious reason not to have kids. Because some people are like, well, we want to live together. We get be married for three or four years so we can really get to know each other. Then we'll have kids. It's like, dude, if you want to get to know each other, have kids. You'll get to know each other real good. <laughs> you know, have those <laughs> kids. And so to not be afraid of – it's like if you were engaged and got married and you got your reception – and you got all those presents sitting on the table and you get back to your apartment and you put all the presents there. And one is just gigantic. And this is like the supreme gift of marriage. You'd be like, oh, we'll open that in three years. Hmm. It's like, no, God wants to bless you, you know, early and God willing often with children. So we should be open to them as the supreme gift. Hmm. Wow. Beautiful. So. Yeah. Well, Jason, it has been a great delight to talk to you and to learn from you about chastity and about beautiful things in the theology of the body. Uh, we've had a great time here with you. And in fact, we've uh, been learning from you for years. We, this, uh, yeah, we, uh, we've read your things and uh, l- listened to your talks online. And uh, even I've seen you in person before, actually. Okay. So, so yeah, you've been uh, a great gift to us in our journey too. So it's we nice to be that. sitting with you here to have a conversation more about it. So, yeah, well, well, thank you for having me on. Yeah. You know, if anyone wants to connect with what we're doing, our mm-hmm. website is just chastity.com. And uh, we've got a podcast called Lust is Boring. And, uh, and we release uh, new, new videos every day on YouTube so people can connect with us there, Instagram, Facebook, social media. And then we've got just dozens of different books and things like that. But everything's kind of housed at chastity.com. Wonderful. All right, everybody, go check out chastity.com to learn more. And thank you so much for tuning in on our conversation today. Remember, you are good, you are a gift, and you're loved. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.